This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to Talking Gardens. I'm Stephanie Mahan, editor of Gardens Illustrated, and in these special episodes, I'm talking to designers about the show gardens they're creating for the 2023 Chelsea Flower Show. My guest this time is Cleve West, who runs an award-winning design studio in London. He has form at Chelsea, having previously won six gold medals, the People's Choice Award, and Best in Show twice. I caught up with him before the show to find out what he has in store for us this year. So, Cleve, you are doing the Centrepoint Garden at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show this year. Why don't you tell me, first of all, about the, the cause, the theme of the garden? Yeah, the theme of the garden is about homelessness. I'm doing the garden for Centrepoint. And they, they're involved in youth homelessness in the UK. And the garden is really a, a sort of a visceral metaphor for homelessness. It's got a sort of a broken down house a ruined house and nature is sort of taking over slowly and it tries to um touch on some of the work that center point is doing to heal the lives of of those who have been uprooted and whose lives have been fragmented by homelessness and so that's sort of nature creeping back in healing all the scars within the garden so it's a bit of a challenge <laughs> and how did you get involved with this particular charity well, I was approached by Centrepoint and uh, heard, listened to their story and it sounded so amazing. It was something I, I, I did, basically, I didn't really want to do another show garden, but the, the story was so amazing, I, I just felt I had to um, give it a go. And uh, the people there were lovely and uh, they do fantastic work. You know, and I was aghast at uh, the idea that there are literally 120,000 I think it was 120,000 youth, uh, young homeless people in the UK last year. That's staggering to me. If if we can do anything to address that and raise awareness about that in, in the UK, then Chelsea Flower Show is a great place to be doing it. I believe one of the charity's aims is to end homelessness by 2037. That's quite an ambitious target. It is really it? ambitious. Yeah, it's very admirable, isn't it? I, I, you know, who knows whether they'll achieve that, but I mean fantastic that they're, they're going to try and they've got this independent living program which is going really well they've, they're building affordable really affordable housing for young people um, I went to see one recently in, in uh, southeast London it, it is affordable they only pay a third of their wages so whatever they earn be it £100 a day or £200 a day or whatever they only pay a third of their wages towards that so everyone can afford it which is a, it's a great thing hopefully they'll all have gardens as well the one i went to see had a small garden and i think the plan is in the future for them to think more about the landscaping side of things so young people can experience nature as well and get all the you know the benefits from green space especially in towns yeah and and did you get to meet any of these young people who've been helped by the charity i've met one or two at a, a different center up in, in north london 
you know, I haven't spent a great deal of quality time with anyone, but we're hoping to sort that out. They've got a, um, a residential programme uh, organised along with the Royal Horticultural and Rose Society in Windsor. And they're running a, this residential horticultural sort of week for six young people. And they're going to experience what it's like to work in the horticultural industry for a week, you know, in all the different facets and, and sectors. So um, I'll be talking to them about how I got into garden design through garden maintenance and landscaping. I think they're going to go to Crocus for a day to learn about... Who's, who's your contractor for the show, isn't yeah, that right? Cro- He's yeah, building sorry, the garden yeah, for Crocus, you. Uh, Crocus is the, uh, the contractor. So they'll be going to Crocus to look at what we're doing there for the show garden, but also to, I think, learn about propagation and, and stuff. So they've got a, a whole week of events to um, just see the whole spectrum of what's involved in horticulture. There's so many different jobs you can do in horticulture. It's, uh, it's not just garden design. It's not just gardening. So hopefully they'll get, get a lot of fun out of that. And we're really hoping that one or two will be able to come and work on the garden at Chelsea as well. So... That will be fantastic. And to be honest, I mean, I'm really looking forward to that. I feel a bit starved of the fact that I haven't had any interaction with them so far. And uh, I'm looking forward to just you know hearing their stories and being with them and, and just seeing how they react to this bonkers event, which is Chelsea. Yeah, it must seem quite bonkers to somebody who hasn't been there before. Like we were saying before we started the interview, you're a bit of a veteran, aren't you? You've you've won six RHS gold medals. You're coming back now to hopefully get a seventh. And it, I think you've been away for seven years since you did a show garden. You mentioned that maybe you weren't really that interested in possibly doing a show garden. Yeah, I didn't feel the <laughs> need to do anymore, to be honest, Stephanie. It's, um, it's a funny thing. I, I've sort of the older I've got, the more I think, you know, it's, it's such an upheaval doing it doesn't just it's not just upheaval for your own practice, your own work, but it's just all the effort and the money spent on it. And it's started to make me think about, you know, whether we need to do this anymore. And uh, having said that, you know, it's just such a fantastic way of getting important issues or bring them, you know, bring important issues into into really crisp focus. You know, a whole week at Chelsea is going to do some of these some of these good causes that Project Giving Back are funding. It's just a, a lifeline for them, especially today with all the cost of living crisis and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's Project Giving Back has really sort of come in and, and almost rescued Chelsea, really, haven't they, in terms of, you know, an awful lot of possibly the previous sponsors were known as investment firms, hedge funds, those kind of institutions would be sponsoring it. Um, this has opened up the whole show to all of those charities that maybe never would have been able to do something like this on such a huge scale with such a huge audience. Yeah, it is really incredible. So um, I'm feeling very sort of privileged to be involved in, in, in this one for Centrepoint. And I'm going to be really interested to see how all the other charities get on as well. So there's going to be, I think there always is camaraderie at Chelsea. Everyone sort of looks out for each other. I think it's going to be like on steroids this time. I think everyone's <laughs> going to be really rooting for each other for this and and you're talking about the medals earlier i'm i'm too old to worry about medals anymore obviously we want to get do well for the sponsor that's the main thing we want to get people talking but i actually think this is probably one of the most difficult gardens i've ever done it's um because there is actually a there is a sort of a formula for for getting a gold medal. <laughs> oh well, you'll have to tell us what that is, Cleve. I'm sure there's plenty of up and coming designers well, who, who who would pay you for that. <laughs> yeah, my lines always open. <laughs> no, it's um, there is a way. You know, you have to tick certain boxes. But this one, it's sort of going outside of my comfort zone. We're using what 
people call what we all call weeds in the garden which uh, i don't know how the judging uh, judges are going to react to this i mean it's been they've known about it since i've put the submission in so it won't come as a surprise but i think gauging the public's reaction you know regardless of what medal we get gauging the public's reaction is going to be interesting because i mean it's not going to be absolutely full stuff with weeds they're going to be ornamentals we've got a the back story to it is that there is a garden like a community of gardeners there or a gorilla gardener or someone managing the space and working with it and so there'll be rubble piles because it's part of a demolished house there'll be rubble piles with weeds this is your sort of your design is sort of based around this idea of a a demolished or half ruined uh, yeah that's right it's it's quite a powerful metaphor for i mean it just goes straight for the jugular doesn't it it's a knocked house that's been knocked down there's a tree that's been that's fallen over so that's a metaphor for being uprooted so it really doesn't hold back but i think that's what you we needed something really quite dramatic to grab people's attention and then the tree is is so it's it's quite a big tree so the roots are right in your face at the front of the garden and where did you get that tree from did you have to go and i mean you know the way you designers go and tag trees on nurseries that you want how do you tag a fallen tree did you hear about one or were you did you have your network out looking (laughs) it's quite a story actually It, it really gave me sleepless nights because I've got to a point where I sort of question all this business about digging up mature trees and just moving things to Chelsea and, and then taking them away again. And a lot of them then languish at nurseries and then die eventually. And it's not really the sort of thing I want to be doing anymore. And so when I had this idea of a fallen tree, I thought, well, that's good. How are we going to achieve that? And I got bombarded with all these pictures of lovely beautiful moss covered trees and roots and ferns growing out of them really beautiful stuff and i just couldn't bring myself to disturb you know what would be a living ecosystem so i thought i've really got myself into a tight corner here i don't know what to do it's going to have to be a recently windblown tree and i was like after that there was a big storm last year and, and a lot of trees came down and but some of them were in difficult places we couldn't reach them but then lo and behold with that drought last year crocus were in the middle of uh, enlarging their reservoir at, uh, at at their headquarters there was a massive silver birch that was coming down anyway so it was almost like you know a bit of serendipity involved there but i had to grasp that opportunity because it meant that that tree is going to be felled regardless of whether chelsea was happening or not but we can give it a good send-off basically so that was very, very lucky. And how is that being, is that just being lifted onto a truck and, and, and driven down to the show like anything else would be? Yeah, we're trying to figure out, because it's quite a large tree, we're trying to figure out how to, it's, it's like too big for the lorry at the moment, we're just trying to figure out how it's going to work. We're going to have to be do some careful pruning, I think. I don't want to destroy too much of it, but there will be obviously some cutting involved. And yeah, hopefully it will it will send out the right message. It's, it's going to be quite spectacular. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even aside from the wonderful metaphor of it, as you say, for being uprooted, uh, you talked about, you know, the ecosystems that something like that fallen dead wood can provide. You know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know. They see that a tree is, is fallen and they think, oh, why hasn't somebody cleared that away? And actually it's so valuable. It really is. And so that also plays on the notion of home. So, you know, there are lots of different references to home in the garden and the tree you know, that will become home and food to other creatures. The rubble piles will become home to lots of different creatures as well. The other interesting thing about the tree is that rather than going out and tagging lots of different 
lovely, beautiful trees for the rest of the garden. I had this idea that if you had a big tree like that and it had been left, it had been existing after the house had uh, fallen down, you'd get lots of seedlings, birch seedlings. So we've got birch trees of different sizes up to about three metres or so, maybe a bit higher. They're sort of populated the, the rest of the garden and, and that's going to be the tricky bit. There's not So there won't be the usual chocolate box looking typical Chelsea lovely orchestrated tree line you know with all the same trees or whatever we're using lots of birches in different ways there'll be things like hazels that have popped up and hollies and sambucus nigra all the usual things that self-seed um budlier of course you know a little bit of budlier interestingly that sort of thing is quite difficult to get they're all named cultivars and i just want straightforward budlier davidii which is like, you <laughs> to go dig everywhere. it up from some train tracks that's somewhere. right you'll find me on the railway <laughs> being arrested for <laughs> growing out of a wall yeah, you know from your neighbor's house or something you exactly just, yeah. might bring the wall with us at the same time <laughs> i mean that is that's definitely going to be challenging it sounds like you know weeds and pioneer species uh mm. it's going to be quite something to see but i'm sure if anyone can pull it off it'll be you cleave well i hope so we've got a good team you know crocus are fantastic hortus loci who are doing the plants for us they're fantastic so i hope you know between all of us i hope we can sort of pull it off it's going to be a yeah, hard I'd love to know more about the weeds that you mentioned, so-called weeds. Uh, what kinds of um, plants have you included in that in that category? Well, the ones I really want to use are the things that we all see, like nettles and dandelions, and oh, we've had a, a lot of them come from my allotment, which has um, probably saved me getting a letter this year from the council. But um, nettles, dandelions, is green alkanet. We have loads of green alkanet, pentaglottis, and. Uh, it's such a lovely little blue flower, but it's a real difficult weed to live with if you want to do proper gardening. So, um, and I'm saying proper gardening. What is proper gardening? <laughs> you know, we're, we're sort of interfere all the time. So at the, at the allotment, there are some areas that have been left to go a bit more wild than usual with this um, drive towards trying to offset this biodiversity crisis we're facing at the moment. So what else have we got? Cleavers, you know, Galium, Aparine, and uh, Geum, Urbinum, and Buttercups, Daisies, you know, the full gamut of the, the typical sort of weeds we see, Chelidonium, and, you know, a few others as well. So I've gone about it. Some, so some of the plants have been dug up. Some are being sown. And in the rubble piles we've been making over at Crocus, We've actually sown quite a lot of seed in there and it's, it's it's been a really interesting exercise so far to see how during that warm spell we had before Christmas how they were actually sprouting quite early. And then we got hit with that frost around that cold snap before Christmas and then recently in January and they've been really knocked back and I'm like panicking thinking there's just going to be nothing to see here. Wouldn't it be an incredible irony that you're trying to grow weeds, and know. They, you know, for Chelsea, and they're like, you know, they'll grow everywhere else for, you know, you don't That's want right. them. And then the second you want them and you try to cultivate them, they won't be having it. That would be so typical, <laughs> wouldn't it? So um, it's going to so we're flying by the seat of a pants. Well, I am. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. So it's quite, it's quite nerve wracking from that point of view. But I'm getting to the age where, you know, you try and not worry too much about that and just let fate take its course. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Yeah, I, I, I had heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for previous Chelsea Gardens, you know, a lot of designers would have their planting plan with exactly where they're going to put each plant. And, and I believe that the way you do it is a little bit more organic, that you get all the plants brought to the site and then you sort of see, you sort of scatter them and see how it feels as you're, you're actually just laying out as you go. So it, it, I guess it's a similar idea, but have you done any kind of trial runs or an idea of how these unusual plants for Chelsea would all fit together in a kind of a planting scheme are you going to do the same thing just sort of let it all happen yeah we're going to do the same thing I don't know any I don't know any garden designer who knows the only one actually I do one the only garden designer I know who can actually plan it on paper and then execute it exactly as it looks is Pete Aldolf yeah everyone (laughs) everyone else he does have a lot of helpers to be fair (laughs) yeah yeah but he's the only one that actually puts everything where he's planned it he's put it on the on the page i think everyone else sort of muddles along yeah so yeah we'll be muddling (laughs) along it will be um i've got an idea of where the obviously where the fallen tree is and where all the scattered silver birches are going but we want the public to be able to have some takeaway points from the garden as well so we're going to use a bit of artistic license, you know. It's going to be a mixture of the ornamentals, plants that may have survived this sort of Victorian townhouse, you know, plants like a cordyline australis at the front of the garden, which is you see everywhere in London and any sort of um, urban garden. Yeah, that should stand out quite obviously among all of those other things that you've mentioned. That's as a, right. Th- this was put here by a person. That's right. That's it. So this is the difficulty. It's not really a garden that I would design and uh you know things like yucca elephant types that used to be elephant teepee i can't remember how you pronounce it but um it's, it was a house plant and it escaped into the garden and it's since flourished so things like that in the garden so that will be like remnants of the old garden and then there'll be things that have self-seeded and along the way since so honestly i'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to know what it's going to end up looking like. Certainly not going to get me any work, that's for sure. And in terms of the bits that you definitely do know how you're going to do them, uh, the hard landscaping side of things. Mm. So you talk about rubble piles and, and this sort of half demolished, but of course it'll be half constructed in reality house. So uh, what sort of materials are you using for that? And, and did you source the rubble from particular places? Yeah, we got the bricks. We we. We're going for imperial bricks, you know, sort of Victorian brick, and uh, that was from Ronson's Reclaim down in Gloucester, and also Lycan Garden Antiques, they've helped with some of it as well. So although I've based the actual dimensions on my stepdaughter's house, 
you know so i just had an idea of where each room would be um it, none of it will be recognizable except for a basement kitchen which where there's a hearth so there'll be a fireplace and that's very symbolic of home life love warmth safety so that's the only recognizable part of the house really the other the low walls will be just fragments of the of the original house and they'll be sort of nature sort of um, stitching it all back together so it's not going to be a very easy garden to walk through as well i'm sort of dreading gala evening when everyone gets a bit tipsy and tries to tiptoe through these rubble piles <laughs> it's going to be very in their high heels yeah that's right <laughs> So do you have any, like you said, it's difficult to walk through. Do you have any paths? Are they made from the same kind of sort of maybe crushed aggregates or bricks yeah. as well? Or how how are you going to manage that? I think we're going to have to really feel our way with that and do that on site. Some of the build, some of the walls we're going to build, well, we are building at the moment, just to give, save us a bit of time when we get there. But we'll, we'll build some that can be lowered into place straight away. Um, but I think the actual path through it will just um, make it as we go along. Um, obviously make it reasonably safe but it's not going to be a garden that um, you're going to want too many people in yes so i won't be expected to be invited on for a wander <laughs> that's right that's <laughs> right it's going, be, it's going to be a difficult one to manage well it's going to be very interesting to look at and i believe that it's going on to a new life after the show is that right yeah it's going to be a difficult one to actually transfer lock, stock and barrel you know no one's going to really want a whole load of rubble piles in their back garden so what we're doing is reusing um, the bricks where we can reclaim the bricks in, in one piece. We're going to take those to a centre point centre in, in Ealing Borough. They have already got a garden, which is good. It's next to a very busy road where they've got some trees and um, outside they've got an existing sort of decking area and, and a sort of a retaining wall that's fallen down. And so we're going to smarten that up. We're going to put new paving down and use the bricks to make the retaining wall safe and sound and then take plants from the garden to that place as well because a lot of the plants that we're using will, thankfully, work well with that sort of woodland edge sort of theme. Yeah, give these people, the young people there, a little bit of green space that will you know, distract them from the road a little bit more and, and you know, give them a place to, to chill out and enjoy. There'll also be a, um, we'll also make a, a place where they can grow vegetables as well and uh, a pizza oven. So uh, that's the plan at the moment. We're hoping to actually start this before Chelsea um, so that after Chelsea we can take plants and, and get planting straight away. That's really good. You know, so oftentimes I don't know if people realise that I think an awful lot of the stuff from these show gardens that is repurposed just sort of maybe goes to a warehouse somewhere or a yard for mm. quite a while, maybe up to a year or so mm. sometimes. But to be able to take them directly from the show, it's obviously going to save uh, time and yeah. money, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they'll probably go to a nursery first just to, you know, just give them a bit of, of a breather and then take them. You will, they'll choose which ones to take and then take it from there. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about growing veg. I know you are a very keen allotmenteer. You mentioned your allotment in Bushy Park. Uh, and, and of course, your book that you wrote several years ago called Our Plot. You still very busy doing that? You still as into it as you've always been? It's a really difficult thing. Uh, I haven't really got enough time to do it full time, obviously. And um, what with Chelsea and some of my regular work, I've found it really difficult this year. So we got the seed boxes out last night and we were just going through everything. So tomatoes, beans <laughs> are definitely on the, they're definitely something we want to grow. But in a, any normal year, it's quite difficult to, to manage the allotment. But in a Chelsea year, it's virtually impossible. 
So we're just going to do as much as we can and just not worry too much about, uh, you know, what it's going to look like after the show because we've got to this point where we're trying to encourage more wildlife down there and yeah it's i've i've found it quite difficult because i'd quite like to be as productive as possible but relaxing a little bit and letting nature have a bit more of a say is actually not a bad thing we've seen so much more wildlife down there and uh we're doing the no dig method and that's proved to be really helpful because it saves so much time on digging so it's not the end of the world if we don't get a full basket this year then uh, it's not the end of the world we have we have about 40 different fruit trees so if we get nothing else we'll get lots of fruit from the from the allotment so wow how big is this allotment it's two full-size <laughs> allotments yeah it's, it's oh, big I, I mean we feel very green yeah. we took it over when you know in the year 2000 so back in the day when not many people were interested now we feel like we've been really greedy so <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great space and, and love it there yeah, I mean, I think there's an awful lot of talk at the moment with the cost of living crisis. And even, you know, you go to the supermarket and you're being told you can only have one box of tomatoes uh, or only three per person. Of, well, of that's really interesting. Peppers, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. They're limiting the amount of veg, I guess, because it's being flown in from uh, Europe so much of the time as yeah. well. And uh, there's just sort of, Don't it feels like Brexit, they're short. Don't mention Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's quite funny about that, though, is that... Um, we were listening to all this the other day and we were thinking, well, why are you buying tomatoes anyway? Because we, we just use tin tomatoes and any tomatoes we had left over from the allotment, we use that that have been frozen. But I re- we rarely buy fresh tomatoes because they're so inferior to homegrown that it feels like you're just eating like packaged water, basically. Uh, there's no taste in the tomatoes we buy. Well, certainly not the ones we get. When we heard that the tomatoes weren't available, we thought, well, so what? It's not really a problem. Grow your own. It's so much easier and so much nicer. Yeah, I, for me, it's always peas. I have to have fresh peas. Yeah, peas. I've grown just peas for years. There's just nothing as tasty as peas straight off the pot. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. We, we were, I mean, normally you grow potatoes. I probably will weaken. We haven't got any potatoes chitting at the moment, but I probably will weaken and get some just because they're so easy. I know it's part of your, you know, you're your, um, famously vegan. You um, wrote your book, Garden of Vegan. So I, I assume that this kind of um, veg and fruit growing, the sort of sustainability of that and, and mm. self-sufficiency of that is obviously very important to you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're growing and eating your own food, it makes sense to grow it organically if you can. So um, we've been growing organically for a long, long time. And now we're sort of exploring veganic gardening, which is... I mean, that's just an amalgamation of the word vegan and organic, but basically it means we don't use any animal products, no blood, fish and bone, no horse manure, nothing that's come from an animal in the garden. And um, it's not as challenging as I thought it was going to be. It's just um, all, you're trying to make enough green waste is always a challenge for any gardener, no matter what you use. But the no-dig method is really helping, and we're just going to have to up our game on things like green manures, There's something called the Vegan Organic Network, V-O-N, which is just a fantastic resource if you want to garden veganically. They have YouTube videos. They have a a really good newsletter, lots of information about how to grow vegetables without or animal manures or anything. So, yeah, that's that's opened up a whole new world for us. And uh, the food we have is, is... I mean, I don't know if it tastes any better. The fact the fact that it's it's fresh is the most important thing. And you can take something straight home and cook it within half an hour or whatever. That's the best thing 
for us. But uh, yeah, not if we're living true to our principles about not exploiting animals, then you know it makes sense to grow vegetables without using any sort of animal inputs. And it's it's it has been trialled and it's been done before by the likes of Ian Tolhurst at the Hardwick Estate. He's been growing veganically without any animal inputs for over 33 years now. And uh, his crops get better and better. So it's not like it's impossible. It's actually tried and tested. And um, when it comes to doing something like a Chelsea show garden, are there decisions that you have to make or challenges that you face when you want to approach things in a, in a veganic way? Or maybe not veganic, organic, but but certainly as a vegan, do you, do you find there's certain things that you have to make decisions about that, you know, other designers maybe don't? Well, that, that business with the tree was certainly driven by my my ethical stance on on animals now so you know i don't you know when you say animals I'm, i include insects in that as well so i don't want to dig up a tree that's full of insects i mean obviously you can't i mean you can't walk out in the street and not hurt something so it, you know i'm not going to go that <laughs> i'm not going to just stop living um but you can if there are things you can do it's all about being practical and, and re- reduce the amount of harm you can do on a practical level so if I can do something else that's not going to harm something, then I'll do that. So that's why we're going for this tree. And it may not look as pretty as a moss-covered tree with lots of ferns growing out of it, but it's not killing as much as it would have done if I'd taken up something from the wild. So that's uh, that will help me sort of live with myself. As I say, you can't you can't be 100% vegan, but you can do, do as best you can, really. Well, it sounds like the garden that you're going to create is going to be I mean, some people would say challenging, boundary breaking, maybe at Chel- for Chelsea. Um, but we've seen in the past few years how the judges have responded to that kind of thing. And, you know, you've had I think you're the only designer who's ever had back to back best in show awards. So uh, <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that maybe this mold breaking garden might be another best in show for you? No, I'm not even going to worry about that. I mean, the only reason I won two back-to-back best in shows because I'm the only one daft enough to do it two years in a row so um (laughs) yeah you can't you can't predict best in show you'd be completely stupid to even hope for it so you just got to do my advice to any designer is to do the best you can for your sponsor you know and especially if it's a sponsor like a charity charitable organization just do your best for them that's the main thing and uh, if you can get people talking about it, it doesn't matter if people love or hate it if you can get people talking about it, then you've done your job. And if you don't get a gold medal, it's not, you know, as we've seen in the last few years, there's nothing really to worry about. <laughs> you know, plenty of people go through far worse issues than, than winning gold medals. So it's not even on my radar, to be quite honest. And I've had this conversation with the sponsor and they're completely with me on it. So, uh, yeah, and that and that's not an excuse for all your ju- any judges listening in to just give us a bronze medal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> James Alexander Sinclair, watch out. I've got your number. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're (laughs) friends with him, aren't you? (laughs) And you mentioned, you know, any designers out there. So for other first-time designers at the show or people who are thinking of doing a Chelsea garden uh, or even just dream of doing a Chelsea garden, you know, you, you, you have done quite a few show gardens there over the years. Are there sort of three things that you would be able to sort of give us little tips or advice for, for people like that to, to think about when they're approaching their first show garden? You know, like where not to buy coffee or uh, what, <laughs> what, what, what you've learned over the years 
maybe a couple of little pieces of advice for them oh gosh i think first of all you have to realize it's a team event it's not the, the celebrity part of garden design doesn't really appeal to me that much and and i think some people are drawn to garden design because it is a little bit more showy you know people tend to look at the garden design rather than the marquee these days at chelsea where the the, the real hardcore grassroots and and the real specialists are, are, are doing some amazing work with plants and that always seems a bit of a shame to me so yeah realize it's a team event there's no way you can build a, a, a garden at Chelsea without a massive team behind you at least 50 people so just be really um I, I suppose well respectful and 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 work with people and and don't let the ego get in the way I'm sure I had my ego get in the way a few times in the early days but the older you get you realize that it is a team event and um and and if you do that and you thank people and you work with people people just do as you know they give blood for you basically they work all hours it's like you work from seven in the morning till eight in the evening and you every single day of that show and and uh, it's really hard work so um you really have to be respectful and and um, appreciative of everyone who's involved so that's the main thing after that i think you need to have a really good idea up your sleeve and I don't know where those come from. I mean, the, the idea for this Chelsea Garden came to me literally within a, a few minutes. And then I spent about, you know, a couple of months after that trying to come up with a better idea, and I couldn't. <laughs> so, you know, you have to have a, a, something that's going to capture people's attention as soon as they walk past it. And it will have to be sort of a, some one memorable thing from that garden. I'm hoping mine will be this, like, in ridiculously big tree <laughs> that's fallen over, which is going to be our sort of takeaway image from that garden. So have you got one more piece of advice for um, people going to Chelsea, maybe for the first time or thinking about doing a Chelsea garden? Try and start your planting early, as early as possible. I mean, we do have a, like a, a trial run with planting before the show at the nursery at Hortus Loci. We sort of get all the plants we want to use and, and just try and experiment with some associations just so that when you actually get to the show you can sort of hit the ground running you're just not standing around scratching your head because that's a really uncomfortable feeling but if you sort of have a clue of which way you want to go and we at, we place the trees where we want them to be at the nursery so we mark out the whole garden place the trees where we want them to be and and then we you sort of walk through and you just get a, a feel for the space and it's all about how you feel in the space as much as as anything else and you'll I mean you'll know this Stephanie when you see the garden from the outside from a public's perspective and then you get invited in you just get a much different uh, a, a much better appreciation of all the spatial arrangements all the plant associations so I think it's the only way you can achieve that is if you sort of have a rough set out well I mean this is personal to me this is the way I do it I'd like to get a feel for the space so yeah, if you ha if you can get a place where you can set it all out and just experiment a bit with, with plant associations, that's great. And and then if you can start as early as possible the planting because plants need an extra bit of time to actually all turn and face the same way and relax into their situation. So if you can finish the planting before sort of the weekend, all that's ha yeah happy days. Um, I've got a nasty feeling because this is going to be quite complex, teasing all these bits together. I think we're going to be working to the wire on this this time. We've got Homera, Ikram, 
Um, she's working with me on this, and um, she keeps saying, oh, "She's been be working on and off with you for for quite a few years, hasn't yeah, she?" Yeah, yeah, that's right. She, yeah, she's 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 so optimistic. I hate her optimism. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's uh, she said, "Oh yeah, we'll be finished by Friday." I said, "No, we, there's no way we're going to be finished by Friday." So um, yeah, I'm I'm a cup half empty person. She's she's like cup over brimming with optimism. So um, <laughs> you need that sort of balance on the team, do yeah, you? Sort of. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> that was Cleve West, who's creating the Centre Point Garden at the 2023 RHS Chelsea Flower Show. Thank you for listening to Talking Gardens, brought to you by the team behind Gardens Illustrated. Until next time. <laughs>